Welcome to the Future Hero Podcast. My name is Baxter, and thank you for pressing play. I know you got a lot of things going on, and there's a lot of other things you could be listening to, and I really appreciate it that you press play and we get a chance to connect, even if it's uh, through the airwaves. If you haven't heard the podcast before, each week is a little bit different. I try to combine music and some spoken word from me, some insights and reflections on teaching movement for the last 10 years across the U.S. and Canada and a little bit over in Europe. Mostly I feature down tempo, but I'm open to anything. If you have music that you'd like to submit to be featured in a podcast, hit me up. My email is baxter at futureheropodcast.com, or you can message me through SoundCloud if you found it that way. There are ways to get in touch with me, and I would appreciate it if you would if you have something that you want to listen to. Everything you're hearing on any of these podcasts has been donated generously, in my opinion, by the artists that make them. And if you are unfamiliar with electronic music, uh, it's a lot of work. For all of the ease that it provides, it provides that much more layers of complexity. And when these songs are created, um, every little noise you hear... <laughs> Every sound that you hear has been thought about and tweaked and worked on and taken out and put back in. And the person hours that are involved in making even just one track are so great. And so when these artists offer up their music so that I can talk over it, which is, you know, I realize perhaps a little rude and outside of this context, is pretty amazing. And uh, it means a lot to me. So thank you if you've already donated music. And if you'd like to have yours featured, get some eyes or ears, rather, I guess, drawn to your sound, then uh, hit me up. Let me know. For today's podcast, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm breaking all the podcast rules, and I'm going to break form just a little bit for this week. Because part of what I'm trying to do is connect and see if I'm not the only person that feels this way or needs to hear uh, some encouragement through their headphones. And so I've been asking and giving my email out and been receiving and collecting questions and messages uh, through SoundCloud and through my email. And then because of my other job, um, my probably more significant job right now of teaching hoop dance I get most of my emails come in through that and most of my listeners right now uh, know me from that world and so the majority of the questions that I got or have gotten over the last year uh, regarding regarding the hoop and so what I want to do today um, is I'm going to play various tracks by various artists, but they are all off the same compilation. And this is, um, if you recognize this sound as Living Light, it is her, but each one of these songs has been remixed 
by a friend or associate, associate of hers. And the album, her first album was called Ecliptic Visions. And so this is the remix of that album, and it's called Ecliptic Revisions. I believe that there are tracks of it on SoundCloud that you can check out. Um, she plays a few of these uh, in her live sets, and it's always great. So I'll try to remember to tell you who the artists are as we go through the tracks. Right now you're listening to the track The Last Morning, and this is the Sudwaya mix. It's super nice. reason that I play music in the background of my podcast is really kind of an extension on something that I've learned through my teaching experience with hoop dance, and that is that when people are listening uh, while moving, or particularly even if they're not moving, if they're listening uh, to and something has a rhythm to it. Uh, it really helps it sink in a little bit deeper. And, and sometimes people can cheat a little bit if they're so rhythmic, like uh, good preaching sometimes, that they're really not saying really anything, <laughs> but they're just saying it uh, with a rhythm and a cadence to it. And it just has a way of like um, going right to your heart. And uh, at first it can move you uh, until you think about it. And when it does align, though, when something that the person is saying does align with you intellectually and then it also is over a rhythm or said with a rhythm or happens to you while you are in rhythm it has a way of seeming to uh, sink in you know and I guess the best way I could describe it is uh, some of you might be like me when I was in school I was a better listener if I was doodling it's like I almost needed like a complimentary activity, like something to do with my hand while the teacher was talking. And now as a teacher, I look back and I was like, oh my gosh, I must have been the worst student in the world. But in reality, when I was drawing those little doodles off into the margins of my notes, I was actually listening and hearing a little bit deeper. In a way, this movement that the music behind me might suggest to you or while you're on an elliptical or whatever it's kind of like that doodling and it gives me a chance perhaps to just talk straight to you not so that I can program you or alter you in any way but so that we can truly connect beyond our uh, gender differences and our culture differences that we can connect like as humans and I guess the beauty of podcasting is we don't have the visual triggers, although I might be getting a camera soon, we don't have the visual triggers yet for you to judge me or me to judge you based on how you look. And so we can agree that the song is dope, we can go off and let our bodies doodle, as it were, and then we can start to connect. And that's the essence of the future of podcasts. This is a remix of Shift by Kara Reshift. 
so of the emails and messages I tried to compile a sort of and it wasn't like there was a, a huge amount of them but there was enough that I was able to kind of compile the gist of the questions down and I really appreciate it, by the way everyone who wrote well it's tight I like that Shift by Ankara Risha So what I found interesting was that in this podcast I have really tried, you know, as I sculpt these, to not include too much of myself in this discussion so that it can be uh, open and available to everybody and isn't just this, you know, verbal diary of mine. But what I noticed was, and, and most of the questions that have come in, either through my hoop life or through this podcast, um, are always about me personally. And I was hoping that I'd be asked about, <laughs> I don't know, maybe my ego wanted to be asked about things outside of my own story, but all the questions uh, more or less came down to, who are you? <laughs> In a nice way. Uh, and... Um, Basically, I, I put a few of these down, and I'm just going to kind of go through them. And unlike my usual form on these podcasts, I'm not going to try to stick to the rhythm of the song quite so much or, um, you know, um, be bound by a certain uh, topic or, or a certain length. Um, so let me just go ahead and jump right in. Um, I'll go ahead, for those of you that uh, believe that life is all uh, chartable, you can figure me out very quickly that I am uh, 42 years old. I was born on January 10th, 1974. I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina. My dad is a Christian, although he's semi-retired now. He has a, he still preaches, um, but he's in sort of a half-responsibility uh, mode now because uh, he's older and he is a Christian Methodist minister. My mother is a retired public school teacher of English and reading, and of course, like a lot of teachers, she has a lot of other subjects that she can teach and did teach over her teaching career, but teaching reading, I think, was probably the closest to her heart, and she particularly enjoyed teaching reading to uh, older adults uh, who had somehow missed the literacy wagon in their first trip around school. So those were my two big influences, um, the sort of spiritual side of my father and the uh, sort of educator side of my mom, and I am pretty much a combination of those two forces. Although I am not uh, a member of the Methodist Church, uh, I am um, grateful for it and everything that it has done for my father and, by extension, uh, my family. So those are my details. The second big question was how do I actually do these podcasts? And I am doing them with a laptop, obviously, a microphone, a mixer, and then a digital recorder. And so um, some of you have asked what my creative process is here. And 
in my workshops when I teach hoop dance, I play music and talk over it sort of similar in a way to the way that I've done at least the meditations that if you've heard those and somewhat to the way I do these episodes. So this was kind of um, just an extension of something that I already do. And in my live work, when I'm in workshops, I have a big sound system. It's almost like going to a show. I have a big sound system and a microphone and a mixer. And so when I got into this idea of trying to... Well, people have been wanting me to record what's happening in the workshops for a long time, and I've been reluctant to do it. But when I got into sort of making this a more intentional thing with the podcast, uh, I found out that I had a few of the pieces of equipment already and had a little bit of the knowledge on how to do it. So some of you have been asking me, um, you know, if for transcripts of what I've been saying. And the reason, I, I guess I could do a, like a transcript as far as like in the dictation sense, but I'm not reading this to you when I am speaking to you. I am speaking um, either improvisationally or extemporaneously. And those are two beautiful words. And if you're not, if you're not fully aware, uh, improvisationally means you have no idea what you're going to talk about. And uh, it's like showing up to something for improvisational speaking would be like you have no idea what the questions are going to be and you have no idea how you'll respond to those questions. Whereas extemporaneous speech would be if you knew the questions, but you weren't exactly sure what you were going to say, you know, or how exactly you would say it, that you had some idea what the subject would be. And so when I work on these podcasts, I listen to the artist, I think about what's on my heart, what I've been seeing from the Facebook world perspective that I have on the world. And then I try to respond to that. And so most of the episodes do have an outline just so that I don't get lost. Um, but not all of them do. <laughs> I guess the ones that don't might be obvious. This is another great track. This is uh, Soma Luna. And this is the Sacred Sound remix. Some of you uh, wrote and asked, um, in part, why am I doing this podcast? And again, in a nice way, you weren't being a smartass. And uh, I think that the reason uh, is something I'll get into in another one of the answers of the questions, but um, I... For lack of a better word, I am doing it in service to the idea of human heart connection and as airy or hippie as that may sound that that's really it because I, I want to try to make sure that I have tried to connect someone positively with positive resonance not with someone about how much we hate something mutually, but by how much we love something mutually. And that's why I'm doing it. And I am starting to uh, 
get deep into my traveling career, and like a lot of people that travel, it's slowly starting to burn me out, just being away from the people that I love and having just the same bed for multiple nights in a row. And so this podcast is a chance to connect and sort of extend my own artistic endeavors and reach out to people. kind of surprised um, at how many people who have been hooping for a while have just found out about me through this podcast, (laughs) which seems kind of backwards, but um, I did an interview with a fellow hooper and some uh, new hoopers were turned on to me, uh, turned on to, you know, this my hoop life, and they uh, reached out to me, and so a few people asked me if I could tell my hoop story, but my hoop story is so long that it will be its own podcast, and I'll do that sometime down the road. Um, But an extension of my hoop story uh, was the other question, which was, what exactly do I do in my workshops? So just to give you a little bit of backstory, generally in the hoop world, uh, teachers teach tricks and uh, or moves. I'd like to say they teach moves. And, you know, you go to a workshop and they may teach you 20 or so moves, uh, maybe per day. Uh, each teacher is different. And that's uh, and I, I don't want to say in any, or make the sound at all like that's a bad thing. These are like... Um, these movements really open doors for people if they're um, well selected and if they're well taught it can really change someone's hoop dance. I however when I go out and teach I do teach moves and I do teach concepts but I think what I you know I feel it feels weird talking about yourself but I think what people would say I am known for is that I teach more of the flow aspects Um, because I think that that is the quality of my own hoop dance that people notice the most. I don't know how many people I wow with my technique, but I do think that um, people can recognize um, my flow, that I have a, you know, that that my expression uh, seems to come out um, in a flowy way. And so when I teach, a lot of my students understandably are kind of coming to find out about that connection like what what is it that I'm doing that's flowing everything together and so that really is what I work on now what I have determined that flow is uh, sourced from is uh, the connection to our own authenticity that when we are in flow, it's like we are like like a sealed, tight, connected to our authenticity. We are our authenticity. There is like from two to one, we, we have this sort of merging of 
you know, it's, it's funny to say that, but it's like our perception of us and us for once merge when we are in that super authentic place. And we don't even think about how we're perceived. We think about, you know, we don't think, no more than a mountain wonders how it's perceived. You know, it's just is, it's just there. And that authentic place, when it is tapped, gives the hooper or the mover or the dancer or the athlete a sense of confidence. That confidence removes any sense of negative probability. So that when you're in that place, you're not like when a basketball player is in flow, when a hoop dancer is in flow, when a poise spinner is in flow. They are not focused on failure or the possibility of failure. And so because they are not focused there, they flow. And in our culture, and probably around the world, this is such a rare thing, even though it shouldn't be. It is such a rare thing that it's called something called flow. And it's called being authentic, that we are so conditioned to be inauthentic that we have to have a word for being authentic. Well, either way, what I do in my workshops is I try to help people find and trust, that's a big one as well, their authentic movement expression. And I use all manner of techniques to do this. I use blindfolds, and I speak, and I do spoken word, and I just try to really help help the hooper kind of detangle themselves from their societal conditioning and their programming and their hurt and to disengage from that and so that they can feel like the essence of them before the heart was broken, before the job was lost, before they were told they were fat, whatever it is, that they can feel that self. When they feel it and they touch it and it is so true to them, then they sort of understand how far off their perception of them is or how far off the perception their friends have of them could be off. And so... I think a lot of people have powerful experiences in my workshop, not because they learn some new hoop move, but because they touch from, for sometimes for the first time in a long time, sometimes, you know, for the third time that day, but they touch an authenticity, their authenticity. And it's so unique and it's so beautiful and it's so comforting that it is a teaching moment. And that's essentially what I try to do with the hoop path and with my workshops. to Temple Tantrum and this is the Kamananda remix I just got to see Kamananda and Living Light at Connection Campout this past weekend here in North Carolina 
and it was uh, magic. And thanks to both of them for putting on such a great show. Speaking of North Carolina, many of you wanted to know where I live, and I live here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and unfortunately, my state has been in the news of late, and it's funny because it, let me just give you my stance on this with a story of sexuality uh, my own in North Carolina because I honestly think that this was one of the biggest but greatest butt kickings of my life and I honestly think that only recently have I been able to truly like let go and forgive and almost almost be grateful for what happened but I'll tell you what happened super dramatic when I was 14 years old my father was a Methodist minister as I said before and we would move every uh, you know what was supposed to be about every four years and um, I moved to I was living in Charlotte North Carolina which is the largest city in North Carolina and it thinks it's New York <laughs> but um, not quite <laughs> but the I, like a lot of Charlottesians, didn't really conceive of a world outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, people there will know what I'm talking about. And I moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to a really small town outside of it. And I'm just going to leave the names out of it, just keep things cool. But I moved to a really small town. Um, it was actually only about 20 minutes away from Charlotte. And yet it was uh, about... I don't know, maybe 10,000 people big. And so it was a really small town, and uh, it was very... Uh, it was kind of one part... It was kind of like good old country people and then also sort of redneck people. And, you know, I... For me... Um, I don't know, I hate labels. You know, all these labels came from when I was a 13-year-old kid, so just forgive me. I don't know if I would call these people rednecks then, but I was 13 when I wrote this story. But, you know, for, for in the South, rednecks are perceived as those who um, embrace ignorance. Like, they sort of celebrate a type of ignorance of many things. And it's kind of celebrated. And in the South, um, we don't like those people either. And so we give them the name Rednecks. And I felt like in this town that there were a lot of just good old southern country people like me, maybe. And then there were a lot of Rednecks. And when I got there, I decided for some reason to try out for the football team. And so I, I was going into my ninth grade year. And my dad and I thought this would be a good way for me to meet people. And so I tried out for football. And about three or four weeks into the practices, or I can't remember how long it was, but sometime into the practices, I started hearing talk that the football team thought that I was gay. And it sent this, like, shock to me because I wasn't. And I was very much, at that age, um, into 
women. And it was like a who me type moment where I couldn't believe it. But you know how kids are, man. You know, I, I look back now, they're just kids, but they're all like 13, 14 and their sexual identity and probably some of the guys that were making fun of me were like the same ones that wanted to make out with each other. You know, it's such a confusing time for people. And they vent, you know, they vent that frustration and that confusion and they take it out and they gang up and they do all the things. And I don't want to say that I was like overly picked on. I mean, I didn't get into any fights or anything, but it was kind of this deal, at least for, you know, I think it was there three years and probably two of the three years, there was this deal that everybody was convinced that I was gay. And so they would treat me differently. And then like the dudes that were like, you know, men compared to me or just the real tough guys or whatever like they knew that I wasn't going to fight them I mean I wasn't going to get my ass kicked because uh, they were making fun of me or something and so you know the the treatment that they would give me and the the things that they would say to me um, it was a trip because it was like I was experiencing in some ways like what it was like to be hated because I was gay even though I wasn't and this is really, the reason I'm grateful for this moment now, finally, is that now I sort of understand that this was, you know, we all have moments where life re is revealed to us. And this was kind of like a forced empathy where I became a member of a group and then hated on. And then by experiencing just a portion of that hate. I got to understand, I got to empathize, I got to connect deeper with what it was like, or what it would be like to be a member of that hated group or that discriminated against group. In the, in the, this, you know, I'm completely self-aware that I actually wasn't gay. And so I can only imagine how devastating it would be to hear this talk, especially if you're like 13, 14, 15 years old, that the way you are is deserving of mockery and of ganging up on, of physical violence. I could shrug it off a lot of the time because nobody was, it wasn't like people were actually stepping to me. You know, like it wasn't like I had to, there were these moments of fighting, but, you know, like just the just the jeering and just the sort of ribbing that you get, the sort of joke of calling me a fag and that sort of thing, it went on and on and on, except I knew that I actually wasn't. And I can only imagine now what it is like to grow up in that kind of conditioning. And can you imagine the self-hate that, some of these groups, you know, any, you can almost pick any minority, that, that some of the self-hate that they have to untangle, decondition, have to separate from in that culture, well, it's just admirable. It's admirable that they make it through and can be at all civil to those who hurt them. And it is a true testament. And when I left, finally, that school and moved and then graduated high school one more year later, 
I found the rave culture in the early 90s, in like 92, and it was all gay. And they all embraced me as a straight male, not someone they were trying to convert. They embraced me as this straight male. And they were so cool, and they were so accepting of me. And the whole time, I couldn't, I just kept thinking, there would never be this many older straight dudes that would be this nurturing to me as an 18-year-old kid that feels tribeless. And then, this was the early 90s. And... We don't talk about it as much now, but AIDS was a real killer. And even in the early 90s, especially maybe in the early 90s, people were starting to drop. And that early rave culture introduced me to uh, brothers who passed or to friends of brothers who passed. And it really broke my heart wide open. And to see the lack of care until it spread into the straight world about how the AIDS epidemic was handled, to see it firsthand... Well, one, it was embarrassing, and two, it was yet another empathizer. Where the same people that made fun of me would be the same people who wouldn't give a shit if some disease was wiping us all out. So you can probably guess, you can probably imagine, even if you have half of a college degree how I feel about HB2 and any legislation or policy that denies gay people, lesbian people, transgender people a right to not be discriminated against. And I don't know what you guys are reading over there, but this isn't just about bathrooms. Included in that legislation was very damaging wording to protecting gay, lesbian, the LGBT community. It was passed without half of the legislature there. Well, at least the Democratic part. Just trust us that we are working here to get that taken care of. And that that legislation, and you can look up, there's polls to back me up on this. It does not reflect North Carolina at all. Only its darkest, most ignorant corners. Well, we're filling the time up so fast. But I want to hit one more subject, one more popular question, and maybe I'll um, come back to maybe more of these questions down the road. This is the Urethyme remix of War of Consciousness. 
I've missed a couple of, I think I missed one song and reporting it to you, I'll put it in the notes. The last question that I think I'll get into, see how long this takes, is probably the biggest one that I get um, beyond hoop questions, which is, what do I believe? And when people ask me that, they are asking me, what is my spirituality? Like, do I have a faith? Do I have a doctrine that I subscribe to? That's nice. If you haven't heard Yerathim, he is a master on the keys. reluctant to even talk about this because I don't really, and maybe this is the Quaker in me talking, but I I really don't think that we need to profess our belief systems as much as we need to act upon our belief system. And that if we act upon what we believe in, what ideas, I talked about in episode one, what your belief is, like what your ideal is. If my actions are always working to that ideal, then I make that invisible ideal visible in my action. Or at least I sort of suggest the direction of where you should look to find me within the momentum of my actions. Again, I think members of my community will spot me as one of them the more I talk about this, but I believe that life involves a great deal of mystery, and that that mystery is like a nightfall darkness. It's not an evil darkness, but it's like a nightfall darkness, where it removes uh, or limits how much we can see things. And I believe that we have, and are metaphorically, the way I frame my spirituality is that we have a light inside of us, and that that light produces, just like any uh, light bulb would, it produces a kind of light, and that when you bring that particular kind of light out, it illuminates the space differently than, say, a fluorescent light bulb. That light is a sort of essential morality. It's a connection to goodness 
within us. And I am fully accepting of all the names that people give to that. Whether it's the still small voice, whether it's the light of God, whether it's the light of love, but that there is this thing, this light, and that in the darkness of our mystery of our lives that we pull this light, we use this light to help us see and to navigate, and that that navigation doesn't change the world that we're still we might still trip over a root or walk into a tree or fall into a hole but that light more times than not will lead us to a more peaceful path it doesn't guarantee it in my view but it leads to a more peaceful day-to-day wandering through that mystery. I also believe that when that action, when that light is listened to and then acted upon and that's a big part it's acted upon like in service that when that happens that it like blows on a coal of the same light it 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 inspires others to listen to their own light and to guide with their own light and then there are these super special times when Two people are motivated to do the same thing by the their each in their individual lights. They are motivated and guided to do the same thing. And then when that happens, those people then feel as though they are sharing in that light. And the light kind of it's like, did you feel that? Yes. Did you feel that? Yes. And it becomes realer to them they begin to trust it more. This is nice. This is Kaleidoscope Jukebox Remix. this and share this with you as a way of opening up and being true. And I will not be filling these podcasts with my uh, personal belief system, but I, like any work of that you believe is coming from that place, I hope that it will point you to what I believe, just my, the episodes piling up. And while I don't necessarily believe in the interceding hand of God, I do believe in the human hand of God interceding. And that that 
listening to that light is the work and acting upon that is the work of God or is the work of love or is the work of goodness and I guess because I know it's the obvious question what is God I guess in keeping with everything I've said I would say that God is the revealed and the as yet unrevealed mystery that both what we learn points to this light and what we have yet to know points to this light or that listening to that light will help us find to reach deeper into the mystery and extend the realm of the known. I hope you understand. I hope that made sense. Because all of this ties back into my hoop life. And I do believe that our authenticity that we have in combination with listening to this inner morality of sometimes doing what is harder but feels righter (laughs) that that authenticity combined with that tool of light makes for a happier life It makes for a life of less angst, of less separation from self. And I believe that it's better for the world for us to be in our authentic place. And that marketing and other things are trying to cram us into being the same person or politically the same two people we're bigger than that we're more complex than that and thank god for that that each of us has access and how we interpret our connection to that light to that morality and how someone else interprets theirs might be completely different but when we overlap them we start to figure out what this invisible thing might be or qualities of it and it deepens our sense of connection to each other you don't always get what you expect this is perfect very strangely (laughs) well I didn't get too far in my questions and I am sorry for that but we are out of time I know if I go too much longer nobody will listen to it This has been the Future Hero Podcast. My name is Baxter. You've been listening to various artists. They are all uh, off of compilation compilation called Ecliptic Revisions by Living Light. These are her songs, but remixed by her friends and associates in the music business. Thank you for listening. I will be in Sarasota, Florida this weekend. I will be in Austin July 22nd. And then, well, before then, the Big Black Belt training here in North Carolina, June 23rd. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next Wednesday.